Thank you, Kobe. That's awesome. Um, good morning, guys. We're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week. Uh, also, obviously, we're going to do some baby dedications today, so I'm going to do my best to be brief. If you want a copy of the outline, Bethany has some copies in the back. Um, you guys can, can do that. You'll see that it's, we're going to be a little bit shorter today than we typically are so that we can get done all the things we need to get done. Uh, I want to just, Russ is not here today, but I'm going to say thank you again. He did an incredible job last week um, just introducing uh, the book of Exodus for us and giving a, a really good overview of, of the entire Bible and, and how all of it kind of pivots on this story that we see happening in the book of Exodus. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, definitely go pull that up on the podcast and, and give that a listen. You uh, will not be disappointed. Today, um, we're going we're gonna to pick up in Exodus chapter 2, so let me kind of give us a little introduction into what's going on into chapter 1 today. I love how the Lord does this. Today, we're going we're gonna to start with the birth of Moses, and so we're going to talk about that a little bit today, which is obviously very timely for, what we're, for where we are in our, in, in our church with all these children around. So in, in Genesis chapter 17, um, Russ kind of helped us see last week that, that God makes this promise to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah are both very old, very, very much beyond their ability to have children. Um, but God comes to Abraham and he makes a promise to him and to Sarah and says that uh, you are going to have children and not only are you going to have a child, you're going to have many, many child, you're going to become the father of the nation of Israel. Uh, and we all know how that story turns out, but God, uh, God remembers his covenant with Abraham, um, and, and he does bless Abraham and Sarah with children. Um, and, and then we move our, our story forward, and we see uh, Joseph, uh, one of Jacob's sons, who um, is hated by his brothers and is, is sold into slavery. Uh, he spends some time in prison, and then uh, God redeems him of that, and he ends up becoming second in charge of all of Egypt. We know about the famine and all those things that happen, and Joseph brings his family, um, this, this family that is the beginning of the nation of Israel, into Egypt. Um, and that's where we pick up in Exodus. In chapter 1, um, we see that, that Joseph is gone, and the Pharaoh that he served is also gone. There's a new Pharaoh in power, and that's where we kind of pick up. So this new Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph. He doesn't uh, know uh, the story, or, or at least he, we don't know that he doesn't know, but it's obvious that he doesn't care about the history of this nation of Israel. And God, remembering his covenant to his people, has blessed them, and they um, have multiplied many, many times over. And as Pharaoh looks around, he realizes that there are many more Hebrews uh, in the land of Egypt than there are Egyptians, and it makes him scared. He's afraid that if uh, somebody comes in to try to conquer Egypt, that these Hebrews may take the side of the people that are attacking, and they will very quickly overcome them. So Pharaoh's plan is to, uh, to limit their ability to make children by telling the midwives that any males that are born are to be killed as soon as they are born. Um, the midwives, thankfully, because they fear God more than they feared Pharaoh, uh, did not do that. Um, and so then he passes that burden on to uh, all of e Egypt, and he tells all the Egyptians, if you see a new baby Hebrew boy, you go throw it in the Nile River. That was the edict that he put out there. So that's what we're going to pick up today. So our story starts in Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Um, so this edict has been put out, and then this is where we pick up. So read with me here. It'll be up on the screen and, uh, or in the handout. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket of bulrushes and daubed it with the bunamen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed him among the reeds by the river bank. 
And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. So there's a lot of stuff packed in there. There's a lot of stuff that I, I would love to spend time kind of opening up and showing for you guys today. An example of that would, would be the, the Hebrew word there that, uh, that is used for the word basket. is only used one other time in the Old Testament, and that is to describe the ark that Noah built. And so you remember last week God talked about how, if, if you're, uh, Russ talked about last week, if, if you don't remember any, if you don't keep anything from this message it's be that that God remembers and so that is significant because it's God saying you remember this time that I saved you from yourself through a boat I'm going to do that again through the baby of Moses and so we see these parallels happening there's a ton of that in there but today we're going to look specifically at a couple of things okay we're going to look and we'll see this as we study the book of Exodus we're going to see um God's character. We're going to see God's call for us, and we're going to see God's commission for us as his people. And today we're going to see all of those things. We, we're going to see God's character today and the fact that his plan for redemption starts with children. We, we, we see that, and it tells us a lot about God's heart and about what's important to him. We see today in our passage that because of the sin of Pharaoh, Moses becomes an orphan in that he is separated from his parents. Um, it, we do know that he goes back to his mother and he's there for a while, but then he is adopted out of his, his birth parents' home and into the, the kingdom of the Pharaoh. Okay, We're going to look at, uh, at this story today, and, and if you're like me, you, you think, why would God allow something like this to happen? Why would God allow Pharaoh to, to uh, make an edict that all of the boys would be killed? Uh, and I know in our lives that there are a lot of times there are things that happen in our lives and we ask ourselves, why is God allowing this? And we're going to see today, because of God's character, because of who he is, God limits his, his own freedom for the sake of us. And what I mean by that is God will make a promise to us and that limits his further actions because God is going to keep his word. And we see that about God's character today, that God has made a promise and he's going to keep that promise and by doing that he's limiting his own freedom. And we're going to see that, that God in his providence uses all of these things ultimately for our own benefit. That when we see these things happen in our lives that are unexplainable, that we don't know what to do with it, that God is using that for us, for our benefit. Okay? And we're going to see later in the story that God uses the fact that Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh to help him call his people, his Israelites, out of slavery. So the very thing that we could look at and, and Satan is trying to use for evil, the fact that he has ripped Moses out of his parents' home, God is going to use even that for his own work and his own uh, beginning. So the first point I want to make today is that God's redemption starts with children. God's plan for redemption of the world always starts with children. Russ shared with us last week, um, Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put uh, enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
Russ shared with us last week that this is kind of the thesis. This is the, the pivotal point of the entire Bible is that now from this point forward, every child that is born, the Israelites, the Hebrews are asking themselves, is this the child? Is this the one that's going to kill the serpent? Um, and so we see this same thing happening in the life of Moses. Okay? One of the things that I feel like the Lord really wants us to understand, and Russ touched on last week, is that we are image bearers of God. God created our first father and mother in Adam and Eve. He created them in his image, it says in Genesis. And we, as their offspring, also bear that image. Okay? God's redemptive work always begins in hopeless situations because we are hopeless. But that's the way that God has chosen to bring this about. He has given us his image. Even though we're born in sin, we still bear that image. And we are hopeless because of the sin that we are born into. Here we see that the Israelites are in bondage by the mightiest nation in the world at that time. And God's plan to save them is a baby. And the rest, you know, you look at that and you think, man, that's nuts. But that's the character of God. God, and he does that to show us who he is. God does this. He, he, he uses the helpless, the lost, and the forsaken to bear his image and deliver his people. Consider these examples. Okay? If, the, if we look at the story that we've already studied so far, we see that God's entire redemptive plan hinged on a woman, Sarah, who was well beyond her ability to have children. She was well into menopause. Okay? We see Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel, is the secondborn, not the firstborn. Okay? And a secondborn in that time had no rights at all and even fewer prospects in the, in the course of normal life because all of the inheritance, all of the rights, all of the power always went to the firstborn. But God uses the secondborn in Jacob. Okay? And we know the story of Jacob. We know the sin that's involved in Jacob's life. But God redeems him and uses him. Okay? And then the deliverer of Jacob's family is Joseph, who is the 11th born. I mean, he's way on the bottom of the totem pole in terms of, of status within the family. Okay? That is really good news for us. It's good news that God uses the helpless and the broken and the forsaken because that's where we find ourselves. And it means that God can also use us. Um, today we're going to talk about, uh, um, Brittany's going to come up in a little while and, and share a little bit more with you guys about this, but today is a day where we're going to make a commitment to raise our children. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, the, the idea of raising a child and that being my responsibility is very daunting. I was sharing with somebody this week, there are moments in my life where I look around and I go, when did I become an adult? Where did all these kids come from? And, and those of you that are parents, you probably, shut up, I know where they came from, okay? You, you probably have had the same, right? Like it seems like just yesterday, you know, maybe you and your spouse were just dating or you were in college and some of you, it was very recently you were in college, okay? But you're going to look at your life and you're going to go, when did all this happen, right? And, and so for me as an adult, looking at, at all the children that I have, it's, it's a very scary thing to think that God has placed all of that responsibility on me, okay? And you know why that's dawning? It's because I'm a screw up. I mess up a lot. Uh, this morning, the kids can testify, and so can my wife. I got upset about something that didn't matter, and I let it ruin my whole morning, okay? But the good news is, is that God uses that in us, okay? The good news is, is that because God is demonstrating conclusively that deliverance from oppression is never a product of human ability or power. God has proven over and over and over again through Scripture that His redemptive work his call for us as believers to pull people out of, out of oppression is not dependent upon anything that is inside of us. Our abilities, our powers, our talents, none of that. 
God is using us, but he's doing it through his Holy Spirit. Okay, deliverance is always the work of God. It's not something that we pull up, you know, we don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and, and deliver people. It's always something that the Lord does through us. It's a gift of God, and it's made available to his people through the most unlikely people. That's good news for me because I'm not anything great, and neither are you. And what we see in Scripture, what we see in the book of Exodus, what we see in the book of Genesis is God pulling these people who are second born, who are eleventh born, who are well beyond their ability to do anything. And those are the people that God chooses to do everything. That's good news for us. Okay? Point number two. God's plans require that parents fulfill their call to protect and teach their children. God's plan requires that we as parents do our job to protect and to teach our children. The edict that Pharaoh put out was that every male child would be killed immediately upon birth. That was the edict. He told all the Egyptians, you see a new Hebrew boy, you throw him in the Nile River. Moses' mother, as soon as she has a child and sees that he is a boy, defies the law. She goes against what the government has said is, is supposed to happen, and she hides this child until she's no longer able to. She is protecting Moses, okay? And, and I'll just say this. The Scripture doesn't tell this, but I know a lot of moms. And I know that the moment that that boy was born, you know her mind was running. She's thinking, how do I take care of my child? How do I protect my child? And so we see this story in verses 1 through 10 where... Um, she builds this little basket, and she puts the, the pitch and the tar on the outside to make it waterproof. And these reeds that she places it in, in my mind, I've seen this, I guess, maybe in cartoons or something growing up, but I imagine here, you know, like when you're a kid, you'd put a little paper boat in a stream, and you'd watch it go down the, the thing. This is not what's happening here. Moses' mother is not just throwing him out in the Nile all willy-nilly. She builds this boat, and she places him in, the, in these reeds. And these reeds typically are 8 to 10 feet tall, and they're very tightly packed. And, and, and also consider the fact that Pharaoh's daughter probably doesn't just go and bathe anywhere. This was a, a ritual cleansing that the Egyptians did, and there was a specific place and a specific time that that would happen. And so you put all these pieces together, and you see very clearly that Moses' mother has got a plan in place. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that there's some divine intervention that's happening here to make all of these little steps happen at the same time. You see this, this idea that is, that is pulling together, the fact that um, Pharaoh's daughter is where she is, when she is, that the timing works out. Um, and we see that Moses' mother has his sister stand by, and as soon as Pharaoh's daughter finds the basket and sees the baby boy, she goes to to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, would you like me to find somebody to nurse? And, and then this is just really cool to me that God uses even that um, to bless Moses' family and the fact that Moses' mom now is getting paid to nurse her own child. I mean, that's just cool. That's God's work and God doing what he is. Moses' mother, is we, what we see here is that she uses the time that she has to teach her son about who he is and about who God is. It says in our scripture this morning that there is a certain amount of time that she nursed that child before, that she nursed Moses before she, she sent him back to Pharaoh's daughter. Typically, that amount of time, according to what I was studying this week, is four to five years before they fully weaned a child, okay? So for, for Moses, until the time he's born, until he's about five years old, his mother is pouring herself into him. And we, we know this is true. We know that she is explaining to him who he is, that he is an Israelite, that he is Hebrew-born, 
and, and she is teaching him about who God is because later if you jump to chapter 3, after Moses has, has committed murder and he's fled Egypt and he's in another land, another foreign land that doesn't know God, God appears to him and, and God says, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and he immediately knows who that is. He is aware. So for us as parents, as we're thinking today about what it means to to parent these children well, as we're thinking about what it means to dedicate uh, them to the Lord and dedicate ourselves to raising them in the Lord, we see how valuable this point in their lives are. That Moses only got till age five or four with his mother, and he knew, he remembered who he was and who God was. And for me, that is an important call for us as body of believers, as we are raising our children together to, to be purposeful about how we spend our time with him, with them. It's our responsibility as parents to teach our children that, that who they are, that they are the children of God. I love um, the way that Brittany and Russ talk to their kids and they say that Adam and Eve were our first parents. The, the idea there is to, to establish this idea with our children that that you are not just the children of Will and Bethany Butterfield. You are children of a God who loves you. And this is the story. This is our family history. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. So it's our responsibility as parents to teach our children who they are, that they are children of God, and who God is. There is nothing more important in our call to be parents than to teach our children these two things. We get wrapped up in life with with busyness, with extracurricular activities, with schoolwork and all that. But at the end, of the end of the day, the most important thing that we could ever teach our children is who they are in God's image, how God sees them and how God loves them, and who God is. If we teach them nothing else, we need to teach them about God's grace. We need to teach them that God loves them and wants to have an active ongoing relationship with them that the Lord can speak in their lives and they can hear him understand him and be a part of that relationship the parents we are the primary educators in our home I grew up and you grew up in um, this idea that the church was going to help us teach our kids this and they will help us the church certainly plays a role in it but it's our job it's not the job of the church to do this on our behalf Bethy and I were, many years ago at another church, we, we, we have had parents come to us and basically, they wouldn't use these words, but basically would say, here's my child, please fix them, okay, as teenagers. Look, it's too late <laughs> at that point, and that's not my job. I can't fix your child, they're not mine. We can't put this responsibility off on anybody else. You as the parent, it's your job to educate your children. Now, the church certainly plays a role in that process, and we love playing a role in that process, but it is not our responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. Parents, it's yours, okay? And what that means for us is if if you are not growing in your relationship with God, if you are not pursuing Him on a daily basis, your kids see that. If you are pursuing Him on a daily basis, your kids see that. Our ability to teach our kids is all based on whether or not we are still learning. If we become stagnant in our faith, if we are not pursuing the Lord, our kids see that and they're going to they're gonna emulate what they see. Moses' mother didn't send Moses off to somebody else. They didn't, he didn't go to a little Hebrew school and say, teach him all the things he's supposed to know. She taught him those things. Okay, Just like it's our call 
It's also our children's call to free people from the bondage of sin and dead religion. Our children carry that same call as when they make our, our commitment today is that we're going to raise those children to know who they are, know who God is, in the hopes that one day they will give their lives to the Lord. And the moment that happens, they receive the same call that we do, and that is to share the truth about who God is. But if we don't take the time as parents to teach them those things when they're young, they'll never get it when they get old, or it'll be a lot less likely to happen, Okay. We prepare them for this call by giving them the knowledge and the experiences that are required to know who the Lord is. By taking the time and spending the time with them to help them understand who God is and how to have experiences with Him. And then letting them be a part of the experiences that we're having. Okay, They can only do this if we teach them these truths and then teach them how to live in that truth. The only way we can do this is by walking out in front of them, letting them be a part of our lives and seeing how we are asking the Lord questions and the Lord is answering and, and then we act upon, we act in obedience to what God is calling us to do, okay? Most of us in this room were born and raised in dead religion. We went to church, we did stuff because that's what you were supposed to do. This, this generation of children have the opportunity to miss that. They have an opportunity to grow up with a set of parents and in a body of believers that are actively pursuing the Lord and saying, this is the most important thing in my life. Knowing God and being obedient to Him is the most important thing. I know if we, could, if we were in a much smaller group, we could sit down and have conversations about negative experiences that we had growing up in the church because it was just people doing stuff because they were supposed to do and their hearts weren't in it. And church, we have an opportunity to let our kids miss that. And to grow up in a church where it's normal for us to, to live for other people. For us to sacrifice our time and our resources and our talents for other people so that they can know the love of God. It's our job as parents to raise our kids with intentionality. So that they can understand who they are, who God is, and the relationship that He desires to have with them. Look, in a minute, Brittany's going to come up, and she's going to share some details about this commitment that we're making with one another and with God, okay? But I, I want everyone to understand this. Today is not about the parents that are here making a commitment to raise their child. That's part of it. But we as a church also are making a commitment. We're making a covenant with God to say not only are the parents going to do this, but we are going to help, okay? We are going to help Hannah raise Presley so that she has an opportunity to know who God is. We're going to help Hannah and Hal to raise Jam so that he knows who the Lord is. Okay? We're going to help you guys raise your son to know who the Lord is. Yes, and Asher too. He's going to help too. Uncle Asher. Okay? Thank you, Uncle Asher. We are making this commitment together. Today what we're doing is not a formality, it's not a tradition, we're not dedicating these children so we can check it off our list. Today is about us as a congregation saying, we are going to do this together and then standing by that, okay? As we make this covenant today, I'm wrapping up here, this is it, I told you it's going to be short. As we make this covenant today, I want you to go home and I want you to spend some time with your spouse, your significant other. And I want you to consider the plans that you have for your children. I want you to think about the type of men and women you want them to one day be. Have a goal in mind and say, this, this child, 
I want them to be this type of woman. I want them to be this type of man. And then ask the Lord the steps that are going to be necessary to get them where God wants them to be. And live with intentionality. Don't just wake up and fly by the seat of your pants. But be purposeful with how you spend your time with your children. Be purposeful about the conversations that you have when you're eating dinner. Okay? Look, first to admit, not great at that. Okay? But that's our call as parents, as a body of believers, is for us to be purposeful about how we spend our time. We see today that Moses' mother is very purposeful, very intentional with the actions that she takes and the time that she spends. And as a result of that, Moses, even though he's raised outside of the home, he's raised in, a, in a, a religion that is contrary to what he knows to be true, even in the midst of all of that, God uses Moses to free his people. And God wants to use us. He wants to use our children to free people from the bondage of, of sin and, and dead religion and so that they can know God. But we have to play our roles. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for the call, for the weightiness of being obedient to you and, and raising our children well. Father, we understand and we know that this is beyond our ability. It's beyond our power to do this on our own, that we require the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to, to help us to accomplish this mighty goal, this task that you have given us. So today, Father, as we uh, come together as a body of believers, as family and as friends, that you would give us purpose. You would give us courage. You would give us strength. You would give us tenaciousness to, to follow through with the call that you have for us. Father, I ask that you would just um, reveal to us those that are around us, those whose lives are still in bondage. Help us to recognize that and, and give us um, action steps to help to deliver them from that bondage. Father, and help us raise our children to see that and to be a part of that process. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Britt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, start my timer. It's neat how God works and how his, like the truth of God is consistent, is reliable, it is always true. You know what I mean? And it's just neat because I feel like all the things Will said, I was like, oh, that's everything I was going to say. <laughs> so I'm just going to make up stuff. No, I'm just joking. Um, if he put it on both of our hearts, then we will both say the same things because God is good and he is true and he is consistent. Um, so... Uh, I just have a couple things. First of all, I'm just so excited about today and um, the timing of this happening in our church, but also just in the broader community. I'm sure we've all heard a lot of different states and laws that are being passed and conversations that are happening. Um, I thought I wasn't going to cry, but about the value of life and when life begins being valuable and what types of lives are valuable. And I just feel so excited and so yes, that right now is a beautiful time for us to celebrate the beauty of babies and the beauty of these tiny little people 
who God has made and placed in our church and in our families. And uh, I just want to just start off reading a verse about, about this. Um, and it's Psalms 138, and I know we've all heard it before, but the beautiful thing about God's truth is that you can read it over and over and over, and it is alive every time. Um, you made all the... So this is, this is totally like my husband, and I'm even saying this. Um, New Living Translation. Uh, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day in my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And the next verse says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They are innumerable. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sand. And just this preciousness, as much as we love our children, God loves them even more. And not only does he love them, he made them. He wove them together, not just, you know, like he wove them, he created them. And just to reiterate what Will said, um, we dedicate our kids, we are not dedicating them to being, to save them. We are not imparting any kind of, this doesn't do anything for their souls. <laughs> you know, there's like, okay, good, let's just push them a little bit closer to heaven. Yes, check. Um, that's not what this is about. It's about celebrating the life that God has placed in our body. And it is also about celebrating the gift and commitment that is parenthood and being a parent and how that looks like in our body as a whole and how it looks like in our homes. Um, so I thought, okay, just a real quick jaunt. Let's go back to Genesis. Once again, I'm like, this is my husband. But uh, um, way back when God created us, he created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in the garden to be in a relationship with him. And God came and he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And that is why we are created, to walk with God. And not, that is our purpose. And he gives us gifts to celebrate and abilities that are gifts, that are things to enjoy. And he made us all, he made us. The purpose is to know him. And the goal of our parenting, the goal in our church, the goal in our lives as individuals is to be in a relationship with the Lord, to abide with him, not to have fire insurance, not to check something off to be a better person, not to do all the right things to earn something. We are made to be in a relationship with God where he saves us by grace. And as parents, our goal um, I think the Bible teaches us our goal is to teach, to love, and to discipline our children that they may come into this relationship. And um, in Deuteronomy 6, I think it's, nope, 4, Deuteron nope, 6, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through something. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. T 
talk about them when you are at home and when you are away on a journey and when you're lying down and when you get up again. Tie them to your hands as a reminder. Wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Everything like talk about this, talk about this, talk about this. Is this Deuteronomy? This is all those things that the Lord told Moses after the Exodus to tell these people like, hey, tell them, tell them. The Lord saved us from Egypt. He has redeemed us. He loves us. He has a plan for us. He has land that he is bringing us to. Tell these things to your children all the time. When you wake up, when you go to sleep, when you're going here, when you're coming here. And um, just that importance. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't say make your kids do all the right stuff. Like make sure you make them do all this stuff. It says teach them who I am. Teach them about my character. Tell them my commands. Um, and... Um, I was reading First John yesterday, and it talks about, ooh, it talks about loving the Lord, and we love because he first loved us, and we're supposed to teach our children all this, and the Lord says, love, um, love me and love your neighbor, and I think our first neighbors are our immediate family. They're our children. They are our parents. They're our spouses. We need to love these people well, and here we talk a lot about bless. Begin with prayer. Listen, <laughs> uh, you know, you know, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share. I really do know this most of the time. Um, but the first people that we should bless, the first people that we should share our abiding relationship with the Lord are our children. And not only the good stuff, not only like, oh, yeah, look, you know, whatever, but also share our weaknesses and share the struggles because Parenting is hard. It is hard physically. It is hard emotionally. It is hard spiritually because all of these things matter. And I know for me, like, I want to do all these things right all the time so that I don't screw my kids up. And there are a lot of times that I apologize to Ari, and I've noticed that, you know, he, he talks. Ari's my oldest. He's three. And um, he'll talk to his brothers in a way, and he'll be like, And he you know, like, took a track. I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. I need to watch the way I talk to my son so that he speaks to others in love. and not. But in that, also knowing that our children are first the Lord's. We are called to love them, to be obedient in how God has called us to parent and to do our best by all means. However, we are going to fail, and you apologize and like Will said, something happened this morning, and you apologize, and your kids learn that a relationship with the Lord is not something where you do everything right and are better than everybody else. A relationship is, with the Lord is one in which he is constantly, by his grace, sanctifying us every day, becoming more and more like him. And there is nothing in my life that has been more sanctifying than being a parent. And sanctifying sounds like this beautiful, wonderful thing, but it is painful, and it is hard, and it is like being squeezed, selfishness being squeezed out of you. are like, oh, I don't think there's any more. And they're like, oh, no, there is. Like a tube of toothpaste, you know, and you get to the end, and you can like squeeze even. But I feel like that's sanctification, and the toothpaste is your selfishness. And then you're like, Lord, the tube is empty. And he's like, here's another one. <laughs> but by his grace, he sanctifies us. All right. So, as a church, we want to come along with parents as they do this, as they discipline, as they love, as they teach their children. Obviously, discipline is important. I'm not going to talk about much of that because I think we all know it's really important. Um, 
And like Will said, we have all different kinds of families in our church. We have single moms, we have foster parents, we have adoptive families, we have families where both parents work full-time, we have families where the moms stay home. We have just, I feel like any kind of family, we have all the different kinds of families, and that is such a beautiful thing. Um, and I just feel like in your life groups, in your, as we are going through life, pray about how you can support the families in your life group, how you can support the families here, um, because we're not supposed to do this alone. And also, parents need your encouragement. Um, I know when people come say, like, hey, Brittany, like, you're doing a good job. It's like, oh, thank you, because it's hard. It is so hard. Um, and I keep thinking, like, when my kids are not all tiny, maybe it'll get easier, but I know the heart is just going to change. <laughs> um, but pray for how we can support one another, how we can support the people in your life group. And as you're praying for how to support them, I think the number one way we need to start to support the families here is just to pray for them. Because the battle that we are in is not physical. We are warring for these children. And I feel like that sounds very dramatic, but it's also true. Because as much as God loves these children and as much as he has created them to know them and be a beautiful image bearer of him, that is who we are created to be. Satan wants to kill and destroy our kids. And that is also very real. And so I think the number one way for us to support each other, to support these families, is to pray. And it's beautiful that that's what we can do for each other. We can pray, and that is powerful. Um, pray for parents to be patient. Pray for them to be kind, to be consistent, and pray for these children that they may come to know the Lord and be in a relationship with him. Our work, our work as parents, our work teaching, our work disciplining, our work doing all these things will not save our kids. The truth of God will save these kids, and we want to raise them. We want to teach them in a way that that truth is in their hearts, that someday when they come to know the Lord and when they know his love, that they say, I know this love because this is a love my parents had for me. I know this love. This is a love that my church had for me, that it is not something foreign to them, that they know it, they've experienced it, and that they can come into a relationship with him and be, ah. Oh, this is where it came from. And just to encourage parents and just to remind us, this is not something that we do of our own strength. It is by the grace of God. And he is there to meet us and to fill us and to provide our every need because there's a lot of need in parenting. Um, but we are a community and we can go through this together. So I don't think I went too far over. Um, but okay, so we're going to do this thing now. And um, we're going to, so Gareth, okay, so will someone go get the kids, the Craig's class? Oh, all right. All right, everybody's here. Good. Good work. Good work, team. Um, so I'm going to have Gareth and then his parents come up, and John Austin, Hal and Hannah, and Presley, um, Hannah. And if you guys want to come up, we're going to, Glenn's going to come and pray for you. And we're just kind of going to go through this quietly. We're going to start with Gareth. Okay, that's right. Start with Gareth, and if his grandparents, if there's family here that wants to come up and pray for them, go ahead and come on up. We're going to pray for them, and then when we're done, we'll shift to Presley. And if her family wants to come up, if people from their life group want to come up, um, come up. We're going to pray for them, and then we'll do John Austin. Same thing, all right? You can sit there and wait if you want to, or you can come up. Oh, okay, I'll hold your baby. 